Whether I'm turkey hunting, scouting, or glassing for game, I never go into the woods without my Vortex Optics. With their VIP warranty, I can go with confidence because it'll replace any glass damaged in the woods. I dropped my binoculars out of the deer stand last fall, and Vortex got me fixed up and back in the tree in no time. Vortex makes the highest quality and affordable rangefinders, binoculars, and scopes on the market. Y'all check them out at vortexoptics.com. Guides get an insight into people's lives that other people don't. Right? Now, I've told other guides for years, we sell dreams, right? That you sit at a cubicle in Fayetteville or Fort Worth, Dallas, Fort Worth, and and want to go fly fishing, dream about going fly fishing. We get to live that. You're listening to the Ozark Podcast, presented by Inland. We sit down with men and women from the Ozarks that have a passion for the outdoors. Our aim is to listen, learn, and pass along their knowledge and experiences to help you become a better outdoorsman. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Kyle Lee. What's up, y'all? Welcome back for another episode of the Ozark Podcast. You've got Kyle Veet on the mic as always, and I am joined today by co-host of the show and my good buddy, Kyle Plunkett. How are you? Man, I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm enjoying the warmer weather. Um, have been fishing more. Mm-hmm. I've been getting outside just the other day. Went on a little um, little farm creek in on the west side of the interstate in northwest Arkansas and just caught smallmouth after smallmouth. You know, fishing poppers for a little bluegill, um, caught a rock bass, just getting outside, doing a l- little bit more fishing. That's awesome. That's the way to do it. It's been good. I love the summer for that. Yeah. A little less work, a little bit more fishing. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, and so on that topic, um, speaking of fishing, we have the privilege of being joined by Steve Daly of Daly's Ozark Fly Fisher on the podcast today. Steve, how are you? Good, boys. Uh, the two Kyles. How you doing? Thanks for inviting me on. Well, yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Happy to have you. Thanks for coming on. Um, I uh, I know you were just saying you've you've been on the water today and you're you're hot and tired and sweaty and so thanks for joining us after a, yeah, a hard all day's not, work. Not very, all those not very nice things. Well, I've got I've got a cold drink and air conditioned house. Um, <laughs> you know, it's been fun out there. You know, this is the this is we still think it's spring. This is spring caddis still, and it's a great time to fish. I don't know if you guys have got over and got it, but yeah, we it's been such a it's been such a crazy year, you know. Yeah, we we came over. What was that three weeks ago, four weeks ago, something like that? Came over to interview Dwayne Hayda a couple episodes ago, and it was right as uh, we got it into it a pretty good hat. Right as the caddis were kicking off, because. Dwayne was pretty excited, of like, oh, y'all are here at the right time. Yeah. Which was exciting. Yeah. So we we got on him pretty good. Kyle uh, Plunkett, he caught a like a 19 inch brown um, yep. on, actually, I think it was on your tailwater jig. It was the Dally's oh, tailwater that, jig. God bless you. That's my retirement plan. <laughs> <laughs> That's a productive fly. Every time, the last couple of times I've been over there, I've been fishing with that. And um, whether it's my main fly or it's just on there in the chain somewhere. It usually yeah. it usually catches that's it's built as a guide fly you know it's that's <laughs> i don't regard myself i i work with a whole bunch of really good fly tires and i've got them around me and i've got friends who are you know just world class and i'm not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but i can make a fly that fish eat yeah and that's <laughs> that's all the right? i don't actually i actually don't like tying a lot like sitting down and commercial tying anymore it's like yeah. I had my stick that. Yeah, but coming up with coming up with flies, yeah, I actually do enjoy. And you know, well, that tailwater jig has been a really good fly for me. And uh, uh, through Brainy's flies, it's it should be available or in fly, fine fly shops all over the world. <laughs> that that'll be cool. So you're working on getting. <laughs> well, I got that- the first international. I actually got an international check last year. Oh wow! From Rainey's International it was awesome. That's awesome. And writings do have a bunch of, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. So that's like when you're certified and you're like, you know, you've made it as a fly designer. When Once you have your fly out in everyone's, well, in everyone's think, fly shop. I think the cheat was for $2.30, but, you know, <laughs> it was, cool. it was legit. <laughs> hey, it's a check. <laughs> it was a little more than that, but it wasn't, put it this way, it wasn't going to buy you too many McDonald's burgers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's still pretty cool. Um before we jump in, I, I'm gonna. I want to make something up to you. Um, I 
yesterday when we were on the phone, we were we were talking, and I I made the blunder of saying uh, you are from New Zealand, to which you promptly corrected me. That's a no no. Them, them are fighting words, I think, is what you said. And so, usually I'll say something stupid like that. <laughs> so I, I looked into it. You know, you piqued my interest, and I just kind of, I was like, that's interesting. There's got to be a rivalry there. So I looked into it, and um, from what I read online, it sounds like New Zealanders or Kiwis, as they're called, uh, are are known for being a little bit too friendly with their sheep. Is that? Yeah, this is a this is not a good topic to go down. Look, I've got a bunch of I've got a bunch of Kiwi friends, and I love winding them up because, like, Kiwis and the the New Zealanders and Australians, they're like um, uh, Americans and Canadians, right? Okay, it's the little country that's over there that too many of them come over here, right? Right, right. And they are way more charming than we are, right? They're really nice and polite and all that. Sure. And we're not. Plus, they do great. I mean, I, I, I played sport with a bunch of Maoris years ago, and the Hungies, where they bury the Polynesian style, right? And they bury the pork underneath the banana with the banana leaves and the okay. pot rocks. Yeah. Awful. And they drink and fight. So it's, <laughs> it's really good fun. I love the Maoris. <laughs> We like the Kiwis. But we love, we love messing with all my Kiwi mates too because I, I, one of the things I do, I write for Australian New Zealand's biggest fly fishing magazine and it covers Australian New Zealand and it's it's phenomenal magazine and I'm just lucky enough they give me a little corner every every issue. Yeah. But I got to know a lot more Kiwis out of that too and they're, they, they're great fun but they're also great to mess with. Yeah. It, well, it sounds but like there's plenty imagine, of... Plenty so if you can imagine, you, you said with the sporting thing, so in Australia and in New Zealand, rugby and cricket yep. are like the blood sports. There's, there's a third one as well. But so, and we play the New Zealanders at those regularly. And it's, it's, it's not war, but it's, you know, the next best, next closest thing. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, we take it very seriously, and they win way too much. They're really good at rugby. Uh, well, I've always heard it's like, aren't they called the All Blacks? They, uh, yeah, their rugby team. Yeah, go look up the go look if you want something to inspire you before your next fishing trip. Go look up the All Black Haka, H A K A. Oh, I have seen that. Is that the dance? Yeah, yeah. The yep. uh, yeah, it's like they're slapping their knees and they're yelling and screaming. It's oh like yeah, the war war dance. dance. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to know. We used to we used to do it. I remember I had a team. I played on a team in a sport you guys, no one over here would know or care about. But we actually did the haka for a while, so with a bunch of Maoris that were very serious about it. And it was not something. It was not a joke. It was not a gag. It was it was what you did, serious. and they took it very seriously and fought you very seriously. Yeah, so that was that was one of the epic things. I think of epic moments in my life that I was lucky enough to you know, to go through. That's awesome. It's been good. That's cool. Let's let's get into <clears throat> let's get into growing up in Tasmania. I kind of just want to hear. I know you you've told the story a lot, um, but for anyone who who doesn't know you, a lot of our audiences, you know, they're local. So we're the Ozark Podcast. People around this area, and um, and basically, you know, just for anyone who doesn't know you, what was your early childhood like? Where did you grow up? Um, how did you get into fishing? Just kind of talk me through some of that. So I grew up in a little coastal town, right? About 15,000 people. So a little country town about the size of Mountain Home. It was on Bass Strait, which is one of the roughest pieces of water in the world. It's an epic place. Um, and it had a river gift throwing, blowing, uh, blowing through it too. A river gift? And I grew up, I, yeah, so a freshwater river okay. blowing through the centre of town. and But the ocean was there, and the ocean was what I grew up on, right? And fly fishing and freshwater wasn't cool when I was a kid. Okay, it wasn't wasn't something people really want to do. Hell, it's an old man's sport. Yeah, I've kind of grown into it, I suppose. Um, so I grew up in freshwater, and it was and grew up in sorry, grew up in saltwater, and saltwater defined pretty much my childhood. I surfed, I fished, I swam in it. You know, people always say to me, "Isn't isn't Australia dangerous?" And I say, "No." And then I think back and. Everyone these in the last few years talks about that little octopus that's about yeah. the AB group. The I've heard about octopus. those. Super poisonous. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's right. But you know where they live? 
in all those little rock pools around the edge mm-hmm. where my mother used to take me in Sydney when I was a kid. Right where you were swimming. <laughs> right where you were at. Yeah, because if you go out in the big water, there's tide and sharks and shit like that. No, right. we're going to put you in the, in the pool. So we fondled, played around in those sort of things. You know, playing around the seaweed and whatever. That's where the blooming octopus lives. The deadly octopus. Um, so, yeah, that's what I say. Australians are smarter and prettier because we whittled away. The native animals have whittled away all the dumb ones, you know. <laughs> um, but that's really salt water is everything major in my life happened in and around salt water, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and we had boats from when I was about 10 years old. My earliest, my earliest recollection is fishing for... Uh, fishing for mullet. And even my old man doesn't remember this story, but I remember it so vividly where is is asking him how lot how big is the boat you've rented to go out the next day? And it was six feet long. I said, how big six feet? And he said, a bit over what what the height was. And he showed me on this couch. And I was like, man, that's cool. It seems really big, right? Now I've been on a 20-feet boat and I've been offshore and all these things. Yeah. But that was, that was, I was probably four because my sister was still a baby. You know, my, my parents got me into the outdoors. My parents and grandparents got me into the outdoors and fishing. And um, my father liked fishing for the end result. Like he liked to eat fish. Right. I always liked sport fishing, so I was a sense of probably my <laughs> I've been a major source of concern to my father probably most of my most of my life right <laughs> I've, I've, that's why he's so great um, <laughs> it was it, you know he wanted to go and catch stuff and I wanted just to go and find a sport fish you mm-hmm. know that was what excited me yeah. And we did various things. He pandered to some of my tastes by chasing tuna and stuff offshore. And, you know, we, oh, we'd cool. go catch a bunch of fish that were delicious. That looked, they actually are related. It's like a saltwater sculpin, but they grow just freaking big and they're delicious. Tuna um, are related to sculpin? No, this was a fish called the uh, flathead. Oh, okay. And we used to catch those inshore and in relatively deeper water, 100, 200 feet of water sometimes, but a lot of times 30 feet of water. And they were gorgeous, great deep, but they are related to a sculpin. Mm. So it was kind of kind of funny. Yeah. Um, ambush fish. And we did that and we, you know, set crab pots and chased lobster and surfed and fished. And, yeah, my life was around salt water until I got – like most people, you know, you go through those late teenage years and cars and beer and girls get involved. And right. That was not good. Um, <laughs> but I, I said most of my most of my major decisions in my life have revolved around women and water. Um, I'm not sure <laughs> which water. The two Ws. Um, yeah. So, but then I started working and drifted. I, I got into sports seriously and – then drifted away from that and drifted into work and <laughs> I had to get a job and find a living. Yeah. Um, and you were a journalist, right? I mean, you, you made, you started yeah, your I career as a journalist. Yeah. I fell into that too. Cause yeah. I, I dropped out of college. One of the saddest days of my, my parents. I'm sure um, they were concerned. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I got, well, dropped out, got thrown out. It was like, <laughs> you know, turning up for class occasionally would have been an asset. <laughs> And I fell into I fell into journalism too. It's like nothing I've ever done in my life has been planned to the letter and worked out. It's always like, well, that didn't work out. Now, oh, look at this new new little opportunity. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, things have rolled along. It's 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 a terrible way to live that I wouldn't encourage anyone, but it's kind of worked out for me. Yeah. So anyway, the I I did journalism for fifteen years and finished up working for oh I ran the political bureau for the state's biggest newspaper for four or five years. And eh, I, I just got sick of the game. It was it was fun while it lasted because I'm a real competitive bastard. I, it's like I, competition has always been one of those things that's driven me and fear of failure um, has right. been a driving force. And it's like that was the biggest game around. 
and in journalism and I enjoyed it immensely, but ultimately it's not who I was. I wasn't, I didn't like the person I'd become because it's so combative and, but it taught me a whole bunch. Yeah. And one of the things, one of the things it taught me was, you know, it, it continued, it didn't teach me, it, it continued my love of telling stories mm-hmm. and yeah, I don't shut up either. Um, <laughs> But it continued my love of telling stories and, and just communicating with people. I like people. I say I don't a bunch when there's a lot of around. I don't like them in big groups. It depends on who you're guiding, uh, right? <laughs> you, no, you no. Like I, I, I love people. One, I love. I always have. I've loved talking to people and hanging out with people and figuring out what makes them tick. But I hate them in big groups. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. I never have since I was a little kid. But it's that's been part of my journey, you know. Is is shit, you know? Yeah, we're sitting here talking, you know. This yeah. is you guys are asking me questions, but we get down the track. I'll be asking you questions, right? Exactly. Well, that I mean, that's I think that's uh, ultimately probably what makes you a good guide. And and I haven't had the privilege of getting to fish with you and, and have you guide me, but obviously your your reputation speaks for itself and. I think that's part of being a good guide is being able to not just, you know, connect and just hear or tell your stories and tell people how, you know, about your life and how you fish, but also connecting with them and hearing what they have to say. And it's just an exchange, I think, between uh, outdoorsmen and, and fishermen that's just natural. Yeah, I think I think we've lost the ability to listen mm-hmm. in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, all the crap's gone. Just because someone's different, got a different idea, doesn't mean they're wrong. Right, you know? right. There's, there's a multitude of things. And, and you know, being able to talk to someone, even though they're, they may be so far from, hell, I do that every day, you know, there's people so far from what I grew up with. But listen to their stories is, is you get to learn something and you get to learn about a life you haven't experienced. No, mm. I, think that's, I think that's great. I think it's fun. Yeah, uh, and you know, is if anyone is, I don't know what you boys do. If anyone's in sales, like we talked about, we talked earlier about fly shop stuff. That's the number one thing. Go mm-hmm. up and listen. Yeah, stop telling, don't tell them how big your fish is. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up and listen to their story. Mm, yeah, so it's, it's an art that's lost. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> okay, so take me back. So we've. We've gone through. You were you were a journalist. You kind of you grew up in Tasmania. At what point did you decide to come over to the states? And what was going on in your life that that made you make that jump, literally across the pond? So, in all honesty, I was I was sick of the job I was doing, and it was time to do something. You know? And a lot of Australians in their twenties go on a sabbatical to usually to Europe and go backpacking and right. Wild, wild oats and stuff. And it was me. It was like, okay, I need a break. I need to get out and do something. And I came to the States. Yeah. I met an American girl and it was trying to figure out whether we'd actually, whether this would work out. Right. And so I went and stayed with her. Originally, it was supposed to be, you know, three to six months. And I've never been home. It's 20 plus years later. <laughs> oh, man. So what, what were you doing when you first got over here? Um, were you uh, still looking for journalism jobs? Job the, well, that'll come a little a little later. But hey, the first of all, I, I wrote for years when living in California. Okay. And I traveled and wrote and did some consultancies, marketing consultancies, and did some PR stuff, and just kind of paid some of the bills. But I, when we moved to, she got headhunted by Walmart, and we moved to Bentonville. And was like, well, I'm just going to find some fishing. Right? And at the time, my green card came up, and the local newspaper had a job going that she thought, and I thought, you know, it's like fair enough. It's time to get a real job and be a grown up again. Yeah, right. And they offered me they offered me the princely sum of eight dollars an hour, Ooh. working nights and weekends. And you got to remember, when I left Australia, I was running the political bureau for the state's biggest newspaper. Yeah, that's a step so, down. You know, I was like six figures and good package and phone and all those things. And I was like... <laughs> Anything else? No, screw you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going fishing because I could go and work as a guide and, and 
and I got a job at the Beaver Dam store and that was paying more than that journalism job. And that was ridiculous. That's was crazy. That's as, I mean, that's closer to us over here in Northwest Arkansas. We, you know, oh, we yeah. go fish the tailwaters up there below Beaver and, you know, we, we always pass by the, the Beaver Dam store and it's a small little shop. So for them to yeah. outpay the newspaper, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was a little peeved. Yeah. I went in as a non-smoker, as a reformed smoker, uh, non-smoker, and came out as a smoker. <laughs> that was about it. I don't um, think you can work at a gas station without smoking. Yeah, it's just no. <laughs> at, the, at the damn store. Yeah, or, the or store. I know they have back in the day. gas there too. But. Yeah. So, um, so that was what led me into the whole guiding fly shop thing. Was going to work in for Charlotte Downey at the Beaver Dam store and. And Charlotte was the one that set up the Beaver Dam store as a fly shop. And it it, it was a unique place. If I don't know if you remember it going back oh, into the mid-2000s. Like it sold Keystone Light yeah. and Cherry Mash and, and the makings for s'mores and goldfish and crickets and all this stuff. And sage rods, Ross Reels. <laughs> On earth. Things way it is, you know, it... it it was, and she was a phenomenal fly fisher. She was a graduate of Joan Wolfe's first instructor's class, mm. and she was she had a beautiful cast. Um, and I got to know her just as she was starting to wind down. And she was she's a hell of a character. Yeah, loved to fish, really fishy, really good fun, crazy as a loon. She was. <laughs> Highly entertaining, and then and also you know a bunch of other you know character pluses and minuses. Oh yeah, <laughs> she liked she liked to fight. Yeah, and one of the things that you know in the Ozarks we have a lot of guys that like to run up to the bar and say you know front up to the no, I say bar the counter. Yeah, right, right. Wrong word, counter at the shop, and you know. Be a little patronizing. Hey, you know, dear, oh, never use deary. Deary. Even sweetheart. Yeah. And if they'd, she'd say, don't, don't, don't say sweetheart. And if they would then repeat that, she was going to come swinging. I had to stop her. I had no to get way. between. She had, she had been a bouncer in a bar in Tulsa. Is she, she liked to, she'd like to throw hands. Like, she would. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And, uh, but, I mean, you, you can imagine what it was like for a woman setting up yeah. Yeah. a fly shop and teaching guys fishing and the redneck, excuse my French, <laughs> the redneck. The, the redneckery. In the, yes. In, in, and that was in the 90s. And yeah. they did a phenomenal job. And she was my first mentor, and I, I owe a lot to her. She was the first one to tell me as a guide. And we'd go back to, I mentioned our, our topic before, your guide, your first job is you're the entertainment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And somehow she thought I was funny. So, you know, she's the only other one other than my wife occasionally thinks <laughs> I am funny, but, you know. That's good. All you need is um, one person, yeah. one or two people to think and you're that's, funny. That's where I started. That's where I learned to guide. And I, you know, one of the things I really learned about guiding there was you need to do a great lunch. Because okay. if the fishing's crappy, <laughs> they'll always remember you had a good lunch. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You know, I've never fished anywhere else in the world and all the places I've fished where on a river where the tide changes halfway through the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever experienced that? What'd you say? So there is that. Okay. So the beaver has a tide. So when they generate overnight, and the water goes heading down towards Table Rock Dam, all that energy will push down and you'll get a rebound wave that comes back. You'll have the river going backwards, right? Oh, really? Exactly. Yes, I, have, I fished it. I know exactly what you're talking about. There, yes. And the river, suddenly, the river goes 180 degrees. Yep. What on earth? I haven't been there for that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It confuses the hell out of the fish. They're all sitting down there going, what the? Do we turn know, around? What, <laughs> do we turn around? They do. They turn around. And it's the craziest thing I've ever experienced, but it was, I learned a lot fishing that place. Yeah. And the other one was that the fish are always, never always on the far side of the river. No, that's true. Behind the red guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
No, anytime we go over, we go fishing over there, I'll, I'll take my wife and she catches all of her fish within the first three to six feet of water. Yeah. And exactly. I'm casting all the way to the other side and she's pulling out bigger yeah. fish than I am. It's just right there. Yeah. yeah. That's right. That's right. It's, Beaver will teach you about current because there's there isn't any. Mm-hmm. Right? So the faintest part of current is what sets up the food chain, sets up where the food are going. And yeah. Yeah. Plus it's super clear. It's super clear. That's what <clears throat> when we um when we go over to the white for for the first several years going over there we were just getting skunked time after time because we were so used to, I mean, in the beaver tailwater, you're using unweighted size 18 yeah. to 20 ruby midges, um, and you're, it's so still. But when we go over to the white, we almost like we couldn't get our flies down. We didn't know. It was just completely different, such bigger, much bigger water. And um, So let me give you the big tip about fishing beaver. You want a dirty secret? Yeah, absolutely. Throw all the way across the current. Go throw it all the way to the far bank. Now watch your fly line. Watch the bit that bends first. That's where the current is. Okay. Like you can't see it. You right. can't see it on the surface, but that is the current. Then fish either side of it. Gotcha. Mm. Yeah, that's a good tip. Right. Yeah, it's, it's super easy. That's a pro tip. <laughs> and it's, it's, it, is, it is a fun place to fish once you figure those things out. Yeah. And there are some big fish there. Yeah, I still want to come back and and do some of the things we've done with streamers over there because yeah. there are some there are some beasts over there. Give us a call when that happens. Yeah, we'll come sure. join. Or we would love to to go out there with you. And um, <clears throat> we were talking with run. Arkansas Game and Fish uh, Trout Program Coordinator Christy Graham a couple months back, and she said the biggest brown that she personally has electrofished as they were counting numbers and all of that. What came out of the beaver tailwater? She said it was just huge. I know there's bigger ones in the white and all that yeah. kind of stuff, but that's when they got in the boat and she was like, I'm, I'm not going to tell you where it is. Yeah. But then off mic, she kind of told us where it was. Yeah. But <laughs> it's it, really cool. That was surprising because, yeah. uh, you mean, I might even know where it is still. You might. You might. I haven't, I haven't been there for a long time. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was just surprised to hear that because I always think of the white when I think big, meaty browns. You go to the white. I didn't even know Beaver Tail Water had big browns. I knew there was browns in there, but I didn't really think that they got no, to yeah. a good size. Like they do with the white. Um, Definitely. So, okay. So you were at the Beaver Dam store in 04. Then um, at some point, I think it was in 07, you you made the move over to Mountain River Fly Shop, um, which is yeah. where Dally's Ozark Fly Fisher is now, right? Yeah. It was, we're in the same location. Okay. Um, and it was it was just simply that oh, by this stage, I've, I've, I've gathered up a second wife and she kept me here and a couple of couple of young teenagers, well, the youngest, Lindsay, wasn't even a teenager at that point, and two teenage girls, and I've got a family, and it's like, okay, I need, it's now time to go and test yourself in in one of the big-name fisheries, right? Because right. you can be, it's, it's easy to be a big fish in a small pond. Yeah, sure. And I mentioned I'm a competitive bastard, and so I, it's like, <laughs> go to the white. Yeah. And... What was it to like back then when you first got over there? Was it was it already the big name fishery that it that it is today? How was it different? It's, it's not like it is today. Okay, I, I reckon there was probably twenty five to thirty at most fly fishing guides. That includes all, of them. yeah, and it may be less than that. It may be twenty or dang. But we it was like you wouldn't see people. Like it was just it was there were there were months you wouldn't see people, and there was. There was there was different ways that people fished at that time, and there was, you know, dry fly fishing wasn't a big thing. Right. Um, everyone wanted to fish Norfolk, and remember also minimum flow didn't exist. It was fifty cfs when they turned it off, and you think minimum flow skinny. Try fifty cfs, yeah. you're you're, you're paddling stuck. around. Yeah. And and wading was the big thing. Like everyone, every fly fisher wanted to wade. Norfolk was the was the glamour place. And it, the white didn't have the name. Like, I didn't fish the white for a while. I mean, I mentioned before, when I first got to Arkansas, I got taken over to fish Norfolk and the white because that's what you did, you mm-hmm. know. Um, go and stop in at Dale's, uh, Dale Fulton's Blue Ribbon Fly Shop in Mountain Home, and which was the store in the whole damn state, right? right. That was the one. That was the place. 
and um, Mike McClellan from, well, originally when I met him, he was still, they were closing out Ripple Outfitters in Fayetteville. That's right. And then he opened, he opened uh, McClellan's. Um, and I was, I got to know him through then. He was the one that introduced me to how to fish these waters. You know, how, to, how you go and fish Norfolk and, and float Norfolk and throw streamers and sow bugs. And you know, I didn't know what a sow bug and a scud <laughs> was. I barely knew. And to be perfectly honest, I didn't know how to nymph. Yeah. And I remember having it. I remember going fishing Rim Shoals for the first time with him. And it's like, you guys are slaying fishing. I'm not getting them. Were you throwing because streamers and buggers? No, I was throwing well, nymph fishing under indicators. Okay. But before that, you what said you, you didn't know how to nymph. But, no, I dry, I dry fly fish. Okay. That was it. I, occasionally I threw streamers. I could throw streamers. Um, but I was a dry fly guy. And, and I used to laugh about that all the time. We'd poke fun at each other. But that was I, I, that was my education, getting my butt handed to me by these guys. He and Matt Bruton and Todd Moncrief and all these guys. And that's how I learned the game. Yeah. And then going to Beaver. <laughs> and learning how to fish 6x and um and I forgot where we were going with that. But the what was it we like were talking then? about yeah, to come back into in the 07 and 08 when I moved over here, it was just it was so few people around. Really, there were it was not like you see now. Yeah, yeah, where it's super crowded <clears throat> on some days, and has it has it? Well, besides just numbers of people, um, numbers of people and fishing tactics were different. Yeah, and the big thing back then was the spawn, mm-hmm. right? There was the the high point. Caddis hatch wasn't as big as it used to be. Like the caddis hatch back then didn't stretch the bull shells down. Oh, okay. That's only happened. That's only happened in the last decade. Is that Being because of the minimum flow? Minimum flow, or I don't know. The caddis hatch has definitely got thicker. I I'm not an entomologist, so yeah. I'm not going to pontificate about something I don't know sure. in detail. It's like, oh, bullshitter, but you know that's that's getting <laughs> out of my league. Yeah. Um, the that spread and in the time like when we first started when i first came over here the woolly bugger an unweighted woolly bugger was king mm. right um that and then sow bugs and scuds and nothing fishes sow bugs and scuds anymore yeah i mean mike's mike's hunchback scud pattern was was epic but and his woven sow bug they were great but they you can't find them anymore hardly yeah yeah because Everyone's midge fishermen now. And that was one of the big changes we got to in them. Oh, excuse yeah. me. So you're talking about game-changing fishing tactics too. And um, you know, when, when we learned to finally fish the white below bull shoals, we were figuring out how to get, how to get uh, nymphs down in the water and how to even manage the flows and how deep you got to go and heavy and all the tippet and all that. And we even watched your YouTube videos explaining, here's how deep you need to be. Here's all the tippet, all that kind of stuff. But the, the one thing that interests me, and I'm sure that you've covered for other people before, but I just get excited about hearing it personally and our listeners being able to hear about it is I want to talk even two minutes on the big streamers in the winter. Cause you all have made a name for yourself going from yes, Midge fishing, nymph fishing, that works. Dry fly in the caddis hatch, that's great. Uh, you know, you can do your typical trout setup and catch fish, you'll be okay. But there was kind of the the dead season of winter and it's gross outside and it's freezing and your fly line's freezing and all that. And you and your guys, as far as how we've heard the story told, is Steve Dally and the boys went out with these huge articulated streamers and all of a sudden started catching fish. Yeah. And and wasn't it too well, Alex, Alex Lofkus? So, well, he's credited you, right from Michigan. Yeah. So let me, yeah. So let me tell you, in two thousand and uh, two thousand nine and two thousand and ten, which is global financial crisis as well. Right. We're getting these huge floods in the winter, like this big water running all year round. 
and it had driven off most of the waders and and you know there was businesses struggling up and down the way because gas prices were high people have lost their retirement incomes have dwindled all this stuff's going on and fly shops in arkansas weren't very popular right Right. We weren't a we weren't a destination like we are now, mm-hmm. and that can compete with the Rocky Mountains. So, in 09 and 2010, Chad and I were getting laid off in the fly shop in winter. Oh, really? Yeah. So it, it, the fly shop was closing down. Wow. This is Mountain Fly Shop. Yeah. And it was it was a case of, well, we need a job. Yeah. <laughs> now we got, we got to eat. We both got wives, and I got two kids, and and. What people did at that time, we went, if the water was low, we went midge fishing. And if there was a shad kill, we fished shad and you'd fish some egg patterns. And, you know, it wasn't that exciting. Yeah. Until the shad kill, right? Shad kills are fun. And don't get me wrong, people had fished streamers in in the the White River and Little Red and and the Norfolk for a long time. I, I did it with Mike five years before, but. When Alex came down, he came down this winter to try and explore it. And Alex Lafkus is a, um, oh, I'm not a protege, but he he was he was associated with the the Kelly Gallup School Modern Streamer Fishing. Okay, yeah, good buddies of Russ Madden. Anyway, he he came down. Who Russ Madden developed the Circus Peanut. So these guys are yeah do big, this stuff all the time. Yeah, and they fished. And so Alex and two of his buddies fished down here and didn't catch anything on regular gallop sized streamers. The stuff that we threw, right? right? Tent bunkers and dungeons and whatever. Right. And they had a box full of musky flies, um, ditch pigs and, and that sort of thing. And they went and threw those and suddenly they were catching big fish. And in fact they blew up a rod. They they ran out of rods and wanted to borrow an eight rod. That's and awesome. Chad rang me in the shop. I got Chad. Chad ran it down. And guess what? We started, a, that started a friendship. And it was like, what the hell? We can do this shit. Yeah. And then we went out and started to figure it out. It was like, because we liked streamer fishing. We just hadn't had this sort of success. And <laughs> Chad always tells the story that it took him the first time he went and did it uh, on his own. He fished for 300 yards, caught a 27-inch fish, and wouldn't see another one bigger than that for <laughs> that big for oh, wow. four years. Yeah, right. But it gave us the inspiration to go and figure this stuff out. Right. And we were all doing different things and all trying to take Western patterns and fish Western-style patterns. Like, I'm, I've still got a scar on the top of my head down there somewhere. <laughs> From drilling myself with an oversized Sculpzilla. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, sorry, Dolly Lama with a big monster cone head, eight inches of of, of rabbit behind it. Yeah. And we're just trying to take something to figure, just to figure it out. And I made a bad cast and impaled a hat from my head. <laughs> um, but this is, this is what it started. It was just we had a bunch of time. We could go and fish it. And what turned us on about it, there was a growing movement of people wanting to do the same stuff. Mm-hmm. The big stream of fishing was, became sexy at the same time we started getting good enough to promote it right. and try and sell it. And we didn't expect a bunch of people. We didn't think anyone was this crazy yeah. like, to go out and fish really big flies and hurt themselves all day. In in like freezing was temperature, a, in freezing temperatures, oh yeah, snow, sleet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, fly fishermen and, are half yeah. crazy. Yeah, so it makes sense. You, you kind of have right. to. Be. Like I hear, thro- I, mean, I, I hear throwing musky flies in the freezing cold <laughs> to maybe catch a twenty-seven inch brown. You're like I'm for there. three days. And I'm like, oh, sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> I'll yeah, pay for it. It's like, <laughs> and it's the same thing about the Stream of Love Fest. It's how the Stream of Love Fest started. Right. I'd had I'd been showing off through Willens, different guys, Nick Granato and uh, Mike Matt Brzezinski, and it was like we've got this going on down here. You guys want to come and experience some of it? And the team, big flies and big fly tiny. It's a party. 
it's a party with fly tying as entertainment. And we've managed to amass, bring in some of the best fly tires of big flies that you've ever seen. Yeah. And while we've, you know, I, Blaine Chocolate, Kelly Gallop, Gallop's been a regular and a huge supporter of ours. And, you know, for that, I can't thank him enough. Mm-hmm. Um, we were actually a little intimidated to ask him down early on. And then we discovered he's just as silly as we are. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> he's one of the um, one of the boys. Yeah, he is. And, you know, I had, I had one of the other ties tell me it's like, and this is a really well-known tie, and I won't mention his name in case I embarrass him, but he said to me, he said, you know, if it hadn't been for your event, I'd have never been able to call Kelly Gallup a buddy. Oh, that's cool. I mean, really? And he was like, yeah. And and what Gallup loved about it was it, was it wasn't like going to one of the big fly fishing shows in Marlborough or Denver or whatever where you get, you know, 10% of the people want to throw a stream at the rest of them are all pointing and going, what are you throwing that for? Are you yeah. throwing it for Arpen? Yeah. <laughs> that's an eight-inch fly right there. What are you doing? No. Oh. Travel eat that. Yeah. Yeah, they don't eat that. Right. So did, that was what Gallup liked about it. This was this was this was our people. Yeah. And we we all enjoyed that. And then it became a thing because you know, if you want <clears throat> if you want a, the best guy to organize a party, you ask the Australian, right? <laughs> the Australians know how to throw a party. Oh yeah. Well, you asked me another <laughs> I don't know whether to boast about this or not, but, you know, we had, and I'm incredibly grateful for these people for coming to me, but they had our company come to me and they've been with us since day dot and say, yeah, we want to pay for all your food. What? You want to? We want to, yeah, we want to be a sponsor. We want to be a part of this. And then I had a beer companies come and say to me, Shawnee Supreme Boats, they jumped on, Rob Williams jumped on that back okay. in like 2013, 2014, and was like, yeah, I'm all over it. Yeah. Lovely. And awesome. then Sweet Broad Brewery, who and we didn't know, them, they just was like, we've heard about you guys. We've heard about this. We want to be involved. This is our kind of gig. And I was, I'm always a little reticent when someone comes to you and wants something, but wants to give you free stuff. Free stuff. It's like really, I, I'm checking all my pockets, money. Yeah. Bring, they're catch. awesome. In fact, in fact, I'm guiding some of the Sweetwater people this weekend, and they've become firm friends. And you know, it's it's the love fest has taken on a life of its own. And it and I can promise people it's going to be back next year. COVID just shut us down for two years. Next year is going to be the 10th anniversary and we're on like Donkey Kong. That's awesome. <laughs> is that in winter? Is that right before all the... Well, it's going to be the end of... It's going to be the last weekend in January. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little resistant to pick a date. I okay. just need to check a couple of things off. Um, <clears throat> but late January and I think I've got a pretty big guest this year. <laughs> you got I a pretty big guest? Uh, yeah, I think we might have, not a flight time guest. We we we're opening up with just in the party concept. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I see. You want to you want to tease the tease the guest, or are you keeping it tight lipped right now? No, no I'm, I'm I'm not going to put him on the spot. Okay. I, I, I drank quite a bit with him a little while ago. <laughs> see how these things happen. Um, but I'm yeah, he'll be pretty cool. He'll be cool. pretty cool. He'll be a good guest too. Yeah, very cool. We'll have to maybe talk off air and. and figure out yeah. what it is. Um, so I think that's one of the things that um, as, as I think about what, what makes your fly shop different. And we talked a little bit about this is you have some of these events like the streamer love fest. Um, we can talk a little bit about the, the all species odyssey as well. I know that's just coming up in a couple of weeks and I will be there for that one. Um, but I think yeah. we can talk about that, but I think that's one of the things that makes your shop unique is the events. It seems like you guys really lean into um, the community aspect of it, the engagement with people who, uh, you know, you teach people how to fish, you teach people how to tie, you show them what you know, you don't hold anything back. You actually give a lot of really good information and, and you're just available to the public. Is that something that you try to actively do and, and the shop tries to do? Yeah, because, you know, a fly shop these days is, I mean, you, you, you have Sims, you have Sage, you have Rio, 
um, and then you pick and choose the other brands, mm-hmm. right? And, and a lot of them look quite similar. And and what it's, what sets people apart is the personalities inside. What can they do? You know, it's do they like people or are they the grumpy old fly shop owner? That right. we're and we knew we had a bunch of really impressive people around the shop. I mean, Chad Johnson, spectacular fishing dude. Yeah. Um, Great fly tire, great source of information. Um, we had Dwayne Hayde around the shop. We had Davey Watton around the shop. We had just really good people. And it's how um, Bill Thorne, who was um, uh, was instrumental, was you know head of TU and has become really well known through his role with TU. But, but when I drove back from Louisiana coast to meet, find my wife in the hospital. To get to my wife in the hospital, when did she be in that car wreck? And we didn't know if she was going to make it. Bill was the guy that was sitting in the passenger seat, probably gripping the dash (laughs) as we flew back from the coast. But, I mean, you know, there's there's so many of these memories that this fly shop, but what we wanted to be, we wanted to be the best fly shop around. We wanted to take over the role that, Dale Fulton's shop had, and I don't know whether they've been able to get there, but, I, you know, I'm a fly shop whore. I've been so many around the world. I go into them all, you know. Right. And find, find there's a lot of them that have the same stuff. Mm-hmm. Fly shop's a bit of stuff. Sure, fly yeah. shop's a bit of in it, right? Yeah. It's about the guy, that, the guy that owns it and the guy that runs it and the guy standing at the counter and, and all the bloody customers that come through the door. And if any of them, you know, any of them's a dick, <laughs> you know. It's not the same place. Right. What you want is a what you want's a family, and that's that's right. That's what we try to build. That we build this as if you walk through the door, you are part of that family, hmm. right? Yeah. It's just like fishing buddies, right? Okay, we're not really family, but we are. It's a guy you met in the bar that you go fishing with because you both like to fly fish. Because every fly fisherman is a weirdo for the rest of the country, right? Yeah. <laughs> we get to lean on each other, right? Mm-hmm. If you, I've always said, like, I've used this a bunch of times, but fly fishermen are the, are the weirdos standing behind the Star Trek geeks, right? They're all the ones talking about Star Trek episodes. So we're back in the back corner near the, near the laundry, right? We're the ones talking about red tags and, you know, woolly buggers and all this. Red <laughs> yeah. Because we're not like the rest of society. No, we're talking about bugs, hatches, and water flow. Yeah. Exactly. To the rest of the world, it's like, what in the world? Why are you talking about bugs hatching? <laughs> so this fly shop, so our fly shop, is a place that you can go that and we're family, right? Everyone gets what you're talking about. We're not someone else. Right. And, and, the other thing is, you know, so many fly shops and people in fly shops, they think they're, they think they're spectacular. I don't, yeah. You get a photo to send me? Sure. You think you did something that you think is cool? Exactly. We get excited about that stuff too. You took your kids out to Dry Run Creek and caught a bunch of fish. doesn't have to be huge fish, but those things are, that's what makes it. You know, you took mm-hmm. I've talked about for years, and one of the things we've always pushed is take someone fishing. Both of you guys fish. It's about half my, probably half my guide clientele is someone experienced taking someone fishing. Mm -hmm. And I've I've badgered at that because that's where our growth is. And that's where our new, our fresh blood is Mm -hmm. coming from, right? Yeah, because the rest of us are too bloody old. You you guys don't realize it, but you in a few years you're going to end up with this stuff. <laughs> Some of the white hairs. Yeah, yeah. I use oh, hell. I I just I've been a sage ambassador for and I've known the page sage. I've been a sage ambassador since 2015. And I've known people at sage since pretty well, oh, since 2004. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been the sage guy all my life. I've fished first decent rod I ever bought. But I got to know these guys, and, and this year they, they were kind enough to ask me to be part of that launch of the R8 rod. I don't know if you guys saw that movie. 
No, I, I watched it. Did you? Did you not see it? Yeah. I haven't seen it, no. And there's all these Instagram influencers who have much bigger social followings than I do because they're all prettier. <laughs> and the room is like still young and whatever. But now, can't stop time. It evolves and you just, you know. I guarantee you can outfish every single one of those guys, though. <laughs> yeah, probably so. <laughs> No, no, hey, it doesn't matter. It's, it's do you enjoy it, right? Mm. You know, outfishing. Who cares? To be honest, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not having a dig at you, but it's like, how much fun are you having? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Really? That's that's the thing. It's like, you know, we get we get so excited about, and especially with that streamer game. It's such a big testosterone and. Dick squishing competition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, get, you get locked into that, and it's like that's what turns your hair gray. Mm-hmm. I did that in politics, but it's it's equally how much fun are you having? Yeah, that's really why we got into this. Mm-hmm. And I used to tell people that fly fishing really wasn't. There was two types of people in fly fishing: people in fly fishing who fly fished because it made them more serious, right? They could wear tweed and mm, okay. yeah. you know, right? Yeah. More serious. They seem more earnest, right? Yeah, this sure. is fishing is not just a kid's sport. It's right? classy. Whereas then there's the rest of us who fish because it makes them feel like a 13-year-old kid again. Yep. And they fish a lot more often, they fish a lot harder, and they fish a lot more seriously. Seriously. Mm-hmm. I like hanging out. I like all fly fishes, but I I go fishing without getting paid with the ones that fish like a thirteen year old. Yeah, remember what it was like before you discovered girls and cars and beer, and it was just you and that rod and mm-hmm. a fish. You know, I wasn't fly fishing when I was thirteen years old, but I was chasing all sorts of species. Yeah, and I would I'd just whatever it was, I'd throw a rod at and I catch it. <laughs> Can I go in that pond and catch that fish? That's what I want. Yeah. And that's what – and still just be over the moon about what you can catch. Um, For you, like what's – when you think about just having a fun day on the water, is there a memory that sticks out in your mind, whether it was, you know, a day with a client where you just remember it being like one of the best days or even if it wasn't with a client and it's just you fishing? I, I, I don't have a memory like that. I wish I did. <laughs> it's, it, I, have, I have so many because it's – you know what? You know what gets me is that I get to hear moments in people's lives that otherwise I wouldn't get to. And yeah, you know, it's it, it's yeah. I can tell you a hundred fish day stories. I can tell you giant fish stories, and that you know, I can tell you that <laughs> my dear friend who who jumped out of the boat <laughs> last year finally lost one on the side. I've been on a bunch of these, and I've been on people's. Bucket list trips. Mm, yeah. Mm. And you, you go, you know, guiding. I've been through divorces with clients. I've been through marriages, births, deaths, all these big things so that you become friends in a boat for a day. Like I said to you, it's fishing buddies. Like we're talking about the fly shop. In the boat, you're the next thing to a fishing buddy and you become close after a number of years. But, you know, I've had people turn up for one trip and and he he has suffers from some issues, short term memory. So he might have to remind me, and it's like it's fine. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll go walk through that. Yeah. And we went it, and they did. They took photos of all sorts of things, fish and places and things to help his memory. And we got through lunch and did all that, and everything's going really good. We're catching a bunch of fish, having a good time, some nice fish. And then she said to me, "I just got a stage four Breast cancer. Mm, and I'm worried about leaving him behind. And I, I still, like that to this day, that that affected me more than anything else, that you were sharing potentially one of their last really good memories. Mm. And is it going to last for that guy? That, yeah. that was unbelievable. And I get, you know, I get to share moments like that. I've got, I've had... I can tell you there's two brothers that that were they both had cancer. I fished I fished those guys. Wow. You know, those things are those things are 
I'm not going to say more important, but they are, you, you say memories. I, I remember things that, moments that are affecting, you know. Right. And the rest of it's fun. The rest of it's fun and enjoyable and whatever. But guides do, we get an insight into people's lives that other people don't. Right? Yeah. Now, I've told other guides for years, we sell dreams, right, that he said to the cubicle in Fayetteville or Fort Worth, Dallas-Fort Worth and, and want to go fly fishing, dream about going fly fishing. We get to live that. Yeah, yeah. Part of that is those stories like I'm just telling you, and I've got a bunch of every guide in the river. I'm not special. Every guide in the river has got the same stories, and that's and they're the ones that no one talks about. Yeah. Right? yeah. So I let you guys in on that because – that is more uh, that it's it's real that that's what we get to do yeah that is super cool i think it's that that gives some insight into the job because I, I mean i know it's a it's a hard working job it's crazy hours you're out in the sun you're tired you're hot and sweaty you know and and to a lot of people i think it seems like um you know it's just like oh it's you know it's an ideal job you get to fish all day but I think that gives some insight into like, it's not just about the fishing. It's not just about being outside. It's the connection with the clients and the people that, that I think. Yeah, people forget it, you know, and that's, I'm not like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. One, one last thing before uh, we go, we appreciate your time. Um, one last thing I wanted to talk about because it's coming up soon is the all species odyssey. Um, you want to give a little pitch for for what that is and um, when the deadline is, if if anyone's still wanting to sign up for it. Okay, so the All Species Odyssey is another weird idea of mine that I kind of half poached an idea from a fly shop out west. So what we have is a where it started is that I wanted to promote all these other species that people in the Ozarks can actually go and fish for that aren't trout. Because really, what's trout? I mean, don't get me wrong, I love brown trout. But yeah. Brown trout's a spotty feral fish. They're imported. Yeah. They're right? not so, but all these other, hell, gar, drum, stri- um, striped bass, not striped bass aren't native, but wipers and, 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 sorry, white bass and panfish and all these other things. There's so many opportunities here to go and fish for species. So we have about 30, Dwayne Ader and I came up with a list of about 33 species you can go and fish for in a couple of hours' drive. And your quest, if you so choose to accept it, is to catch as many two-person teams, catch as many as you can in 24 hours. It's actually 14 hours fishing time. And here's the kicker. Size doesn't count. You just got to get the species on the board. Mm. So... A two-inch small, two-inch smallmouth, one-inch smallmouth counts the same as a thirty-inch brown trout. No way. Yep. This is not. This is not your average fishing competition, and really, it's not supposed to be a competition. What it is is supposed to get people thinking about catching other species. Mm-hmm. So, who doesn't love catching pumpkin seeds? Right, long ears. Who doesn't love catching green sunfish and, right. and largemouth and smallmouth and 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 gar and carp and all these things that we have available to us and trout as well. And it's a competition that's being held on the fourth and fifth of June. And we do we have fourteen hours fishing. You can't fish after dark. It's all catch and release. It's fly fish only. And to make it more entertaining, we've got seven thousand dollars worth in prizes and giveaways. That's awesome. And it's not it's about it's not yeah, I one of the things I really can do well is scam stuff out of our vendors. <laughs> yeah. I've been around a long time. These guys like they, they hear me call and they're all going, Oh God, what's he want this time? Yeah. Um, but don't be embarrassed and figure out ways to do it. And this competition is it's a non competition. The one of the things that I really loved about it, the people I figured out that people got what I was meaning when I set this up. A couple of years ago, we had I've got some photos of one of our competitors teaching two young kids how to use a spinning rod at one of the local ponds in the right middle the, of the competition. 
Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So we were there and they couldn't use it. So he walked over and just gave up fishing time and did this. And I was just like, yep. Yeah, that's cool. And I've got, an, I've got another photo of the top five te- four teams, I think, all hanging out together, all hooping each other, try and catch one extra species. And they're all competing for these prizes. Mm. And they're great prizes, but it wasn't about winning or losing it was about learning how to catch that next fish yeah and that's what it's about because if global warming is true right if global warming is right and the the not if global warming is right it's wrong way to put it if the impacts of global warming are right we will lose most of the trout by 2080 most of the trout habitat will be gone mm, okay so let me ask, and I, I posed this hypothetical question in a magazine column from Fly Life. It's Fly Life in the column I write a few years ago. That it, what would you fish? Would you fly fish? What else would you fly fish for? Right. And we start thinking about those things and start going, yeah, trout's important. I don't want to lose trout. But also it's like, man, there's, so, there's all these other things that are there that are viable that we can do now. And they're always protecting, right? Cold water is important, but so are so are panfish, so mm-hmm. are smallmouth, and the fact that we love them and and we can stand up and are willing to fight for them is going to see, help us secure their future. Mm. And you know, <laughs> most of what I do is is the idea of it's highly entertaining, a really good time, but sometimes I'm a little serious behind it too. Yeah, absolutely. So people can still sign up for it. It's June fourth and fifth, yep. and you can sign up. Yeah, it's one hundred and seventy bucks. Um, you'll get the you get the water bottle and a cool gift bag, and and you get to have a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot but of fun. It is really good fun. Just call it. Um, you can find entry forms online or call the fly shop on eight seven zero four three five six one six six. The boys will be happy to help you out. Awesome. Very cool. Well, I I I'll see you there in a couple of weeks. I'm I'm going to be there. Um, Kyle. He was, yeah. He's already be... talking about. He's already talking about winning, and it's like, shit. Everyone, every the last one, nearly the last winning streak hater did it. Nearly killed him. Yeah, oh yeah. He said he had a driver uh, because he, he, he was so serious that he. Well, Steve, you know that Kyle Veet here is fishing with Hada, right? Did we talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. Steve. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so Hayda is my replacement, which is a much better bet on a teammate. Yeah, I was gonna fish <laughs> with Kyle, fish. but um, but Kyle had to drop out, so I was like, man, I need a partner. So I just, you know, on on the whim, I was like, hey, I don't know if you're doing it this year. Would love to fish with you. So I'll be there. Um, hopefully, you can uh, do do well. I'm sure that Dwayne won't let us not do well. He's a pretty serious fisherman. <laughs> oh, he's pretty intense. Yeah, but here's the thing about it: the the we, I said we had 33 species. The last time Dwayne won it, he only got 15. Yeah. Right? And he, with such small numbers, because it's, it's actually hard to build numbers. Anyone can win it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Or being lucky is real, is a real asset. Yeah, right? it's part of it. Yeah. And it's, it's so many of these things that, you know, you're not after the hardest fish, like literally. A fish that long, if we can identify the species, you're golden. <laughs> it counts. That's good people. That's so awesome. Beginners, beginners luck. Oh yeah, you can win. Yeah, you just got to be. You put your money up. Got to be in it to win it, and a positive attitude is a good mm. thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Steve, you're hitting on something the last ten minutes or so, maybe of those listening that I think is is really important and, and gets me excited and is even part of the reason why we enjoy doing the Ozark podcast and enjoy interacting with people who listen to it and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think when we first started reaching out to guests, we were thinking, one, those people are probably too big of a deal for us. And two, what do they, what do they care about what we're trying to do? Or what, you know, they, they just want to throw big streamers or shoot big deer and like, they're all in it for, the testosterone filled outdoor yeah. extreme experience. And we, I, th- I think have been blown away by the amount of people in the Ozark region and talking to you and Dwayne Hayda and many, many others who 
are all saying the exact same thing of like, it's about the next generation. It's about time with family. It's about people feeling welcomed into the outdoors and all the sports that they're doing. It's about walking into the fly shop and they're asking questions. And I actually think that's the first time Kyle and I met you as we walked in saying, you know, we have our eight weight rods. We're trying to fish streamers. We've never done it before. And you're like, what fly line do we have? And Kyle goes sinking line. And you're like, yeah, yeah. But like what kind of sinking line? I was like, line? I was trying to help you fish. That's like a 10 thing. foot long enough. Yeah. So just the immediate, um, just wel- welcoming spirit of we want to help you guys catch fish or other people we've talked to. We want to help you figure out how to track a deer or shoot a deer, get the bird or all that, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And I just, I can't thank you enough even for your, uh, your contribution yeah. to that <laughs> and, and even to that spirit. I'm glad, but I, I'm glad I didn't poke too much fun. Oh I, no, I, it's I, all great. Well, we just get excited yeah. about, we just it's love awesome. hearing from other guys who are as passionate about, bringing other people into the outdoors and letting them experience a good time as everybody else around us. And I think it's, it's kind of helped level the playing field a little bit. It's like, we're just two old guys at a Fayetteville, Arkansas running a podcast. Yeah. Just trying but to we, learn, but we love getting to meet so many other men and women who are all preaching the exact same, exact same message. Which is really cool. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, you just got to go fishing, right? Just go fishing. End of the day, end of the one day the, the podcast and everything, we all want to fish more. Right. Oh Yeah. And it's it's ways that get us keep us involved when we're not fishing. Mm-hmm. There are all these things around it, and you know it's like time flies and writing stories and taking photos, which I love more than anything in the world. I think right now, um, but all these things keep us engaged. Mm-hmm. And when we haven't got a fly rod in our hand, and hopefully, yeah, I mean if we're not yeah. fishing, hopefully we're thinking we about to, it. We get to go we're and talking together. about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's mm-hmm. what I said. Like living in that cubicle and the, we're dealing in dreams. And mm-hmm. I'm just lucky that I've got to live a hell of a lot of dreams and I hope there's a bunch more ahead. But, you know, yeah, we should do. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Well, we'll have to come fish with you soon. Yeah, we want to come over there sure. and, and hit the water with yeah, you sometime. The, the experience might be a lot less entertaining yeah. than you well, uh, we'll have a good time. Absolutely. Well, we we appreciate your time and um, just thanks thanks again for coming on the podcast. And uh, to our listeners, any, anyone who who listened and stuck with us this long, um, we hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you like it, make sure you share it with a buddy, um, share it on Facebook, social media, and um, let us know what you think. Thank you, guys. This podcast is hosted by Kyle V, co-hosted by Adam Treese and Kyle Plunkett, and produced by Daniel Matthews. To sponsor an episode or for general advertising inquiries, reach out to us at the Ozark Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time.